Chapter Twenty Five of Indiana. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. Indiana by George Sand. Translated by George Burnham Ives. Chapter Twenty Five now it happened that the ministry of the eighth of august which overturned so many things in france dealt a serious blow at raymond's security monsieur de ramiere was not one of those blindly vain mortals who triumph on a day of victory he had made politics the mainspring of all his ideas the basis of all his dreams of the future he had flattered himself that the king by adopting a policy of shrewd concessions, would maintain for a long time to come the equilibrium which assured the existence of the noble families. But the rise to power of the Prince de Polignac destroyed that hope. Raymond saw too far ahead. He was too well acquainted with the new society not to stand on his guard against momentary triumphs. He understood that his whole future trembled in the balance with that of the monarchy and that his fortune, perhaps his life, hung by a thread. Thereupon he found himself in a delicate and embarrassing position. Honor made it his duty to devote himself, despite all the risk of such devotion, to the family whose interest had been thus far closely connected with his own. In that respect he could hardly disregard his conscience and the memory of his forefathers. But this new order of things, this tendency toward an absolute despotism offended his prudence his common sense and so he said his convictions it compromised his whole existence it did worse than that it made him ridiculous him a renowned publicist who had ventured so many times to promise in the name of the crown justice for all and fidelity to the sworn compact but now all the acts of the government gave a formal contradiction to the young eclectic politician's imprudent assertions. All the calm and slothful minds, who two days earlier asked nothing better than to cling to the constitutional throne, began to throw themselves into the opposition, and to denounce as rascality the efforts of Raymond and his fellows. The most courteous accused him of lack of foresight and incapacity, Raymond felt that it was humiliating to be considered a dupe after playing such a brilliant role in the game. He began secretly to curse and despise this royalty, which thus degraded itself and involved him in its downfall. He would have liked to be able to cut loose from it without disgrace before the hour of battle. For some time he made incredible efforts to gain the confidence of both camps. The opposition ranks of that period were not squeamish concerning the admission of new recruits. They needed them, and the credentials they required were so trivial that they enlisted considerable numbers. Nor did they disdain the support of great names, and day after day adroitly flattering allusions in their newspapers tended to detach the brightest gems from that worn-out crown. Raymond was not deceived by these demonstrations of esteem, but he did not reject them, for he was certain of their utility. On the other hand, the champions of the throne became more intolerant as their situation became more desperate. 
they drove from their ranks without prudence and without regard of propriety their strongest defenders they soon began to manifest their dissatisfaction and distrust to raymond he in his embarrassment attached to his reputation as the principal ornament of his existence was very opportunely taken down with an acute attack of rheumatism which compelled him to abandon work of every sort for the moment and to go into the country with his mother in his isolation raymond really suffered to feel that he was like a corpse amid the devouring activity of a society on the brink of dissolution to feel that he was prevented by his embarrassment as to the color he should assume no less than by illness from enlisting under the warlike banners that waved on all sides summoning the most obscure and the least experienced to the great conflict the intense pains of his malady solitude ennui and fever insensibly turned his ideas into another channel he asked himself for the first time perhaps if society had deserved all the pains he had taken to make himself agreeable to it and he judged society justly when he saw that it was so indifferent with regard to him so forgetful of his talents and his glory then he took comfort for having been its dupe by assuring himself that he had never sought anything but his personal gratification and that he had found it there thanks to himself nothing so confirms us in egotism as reflection raymond drew this conclusion from it that man in the social state requires two sorts of happiness happiness in public life and in private life social triumphs and domestic joys his mother who nursed him assiduously fell dangerously ill it was his turn to forget his own sufferings and to take care of her but his strength was not sufficient ardent passionate souls display miraculous stores of health in times of danger but lukewarm indolent souls do not arouse such supernatural outbursts of bodily strength although raymond was a good son as the phrase is understood in society he succumbed physically under the weight of fatigue lying on his bed of pain with no one at his pillow save hirelings and now and then a friend who was in haste to return to the excitements of social life he began to think of indiana and he sincerely regretted her for at that time she would have been most useful to him he remembered the dutiful attention she had lavished on her crabbed old husband and he imagined the gentle and beneficent care with which she would have encompassed her lover if i had accepted her sacrifice he thought she would be dishonored but what would it matter to me now abandoned as i am by a frivolous selfish world i should not be alone she whom everybody spurned with contumely would be at my feet impelled by love she would weep over my sufferings and would find a way to allay them why did i discard that woman she loved me so dearly that she would have found consolation for the insults of her fellows by bringing a little happiness into my domestic life he determined to marry when he recovered and he mentally reviewed the names and faces that had impressed him in the salons of the two divisions of society fascinating apparitions flitted through his dreams headdresses laden with flowers snowy shoulders enveloped in swansdown capes supple forms imprisoned in muslin or satin such alluring phantoms fluttered their gauze wings before raymond's heavy burning eyes 
but he had seen these parries only in the perfumed whirl of the ballroom on waking he asked himself whether their rosy lips knew any other smiles than those of coquetry whether their white hands could dress the wounds of sorrow whether their refined and brilliant wit could stoop to the painful task of consoling and diverting a horribly bored invalid raymond was a man of keen intelligence and he was more distrustful than other men of the coquetry of women he had a more intense hatred of selfishness because he knew that from a selfish person he could obtain nothing to advance his own happiness and then raymond was no less embarrassed concerning the choice of a wife than concerning the choice of his political colors the same reasons imposed moderation and prudence on him he belonged to a family of high rank and unbending pride which would brook no mesalliance and yet wealth could no longer be considered secure except in plebeian hands according to all appearance that class was destined to rise over the ruins of the other and in order to maintain oneself on the surface of the movement one must be the son-in-law of a manufacturer or a stockbroker raymond concluded therefore that it would be wise to wait and see which way the wind blew before entering upon a course of action which would decide his whole future these positive reflections made plain to him the utter lack of affection which characterized marriages of convenience so called and the hope of having some day a companion worthy of his love entered only incidentally into his prospects of happiness meanwhile his illness might be prolonged and the hope of better days to come does not efface the keen consciousness of present pains he recurred to the unpleasant thought of his blindness on the day that he had declined to kidnap madame delmar and he cursed himself for having comprehended so imperfectly his real interests at this juncture he received the letter indiana wrote him from ile bourbon the sombre and inflexible energy which she retained amid shocks which might well have crushed her spirit made a profound impression on raymond i judged her ill he thought she really loved me she still loves me for my sake she would have been capable of those heroic efforts which i considered to be beyond a woman's strength and now i probably need say but a word to draw her like an irresistible magnet from one end of the world to the other if six months eight months perhaps were not necessary to obtain that result i would like to make the trial he fell asleep meditating that idea but he was soon awakened by a great commotion in the next room he rose with difficulty put on a dressing-gown and dragged himself to his mother's apartment she was very ill toward morning she found strength to talk with him she was under no illusion as to the brief time she had yet to live and her mind was busy with her son's future you are about to lose your best friend she said may heaven replace her by a companion worthy of you but be prudent raymond and do not risk the repose of your whole life for a mere chimera of your ambition i have known but one woman alas whom i would have cared to call my daughter but heaven has disposed of her but listen my son monsieur delmar is old and broken who knows if that long voyage did not exhaust the rest of his vitality respect his wife as long as he lives but if as i believe will be the case he is summoned soon to follow me to the grave 
remember there is still one woman in the world who loves you almost as dearly as your mother loved you that evening madame de ramiere died in her son's arms raymond's grief was deep and bitter in the face of such a loss there could be neither false emotion nor selfish scheming his mother was really necessary to him with her he lost all the moral comfort of his life he shed despairing tears upon her pallid forehead her lifeless eyes he maligned heaven he cursed his destiny he wept for indiana he called god to account for the happiness he owed him he reproached him for treating him like other men and tearing everything from him at once then he doubted the existence of this god who chastised him he chose to deny him rather than submit to his decrees he lost all the illusions with all the realities of life and he returned to his bed of fever and suffering as crushed and hopeless as a deposed king as a fallen angel when he was nearly restored to health he cast a glance at the condition of france matters were going from bad to worse on all sides there were threats of refusal to pay taxes raymond was amazed at the foolish confidence of his party and deeming it wise not to plunge into the melee as yet he shut himself up at cercy with the melancholy memory of his mother and madame delmar by dint of pondering the idea to which he had attached little importance at its first conception he accustomed himself to the thought that indiana was not lost to him if he chose to take the trouble to beckon her back he detected many inconveniences in the scheme but many more advantages it was not in accord with his interest to wait until she was a widow before marrying her as madame de ramiere had suggested delmar might live twenty years longer and raymond did not choose to renounce forever the chance of a brilliant marriage he conceived a better plan than that in his cheerful and fertile imagination he could by taking a little trouble exert an unbounded influence over his indiana he felt that he possessed sufficient mental cunning and knavery to make of that enthusiastic and sublime creature a devoted and submissive mistress he could shield her from the ferocity of public opinion conceal her behind the impenetrable wall of his private life keep her as a precious treasure in the depths of his retreat and employ her to sweeten his moments of solitude and meditation with the joys of a pure and generous affection he would not have to exert himself overmuch to escape the husband's wrath he would not come three thousand leagues in pursuit of his wife when his business interests made his presence absolutely necessary in the other hemisphere indiana would demand little in the way of pleasure and liberty after the bitter trials which had bent her neck to the yoke she was ambitious only for love and raymond felt that he would love her from gratitude as soon as she made herself useful to him he remembered also the constancy and gentleness she had shown during the long days of his coldness and neglect he promised himself that he would cleverly retain his liberty so that she would not dare to complain he flattered himself that he could acquire sufficient control over her convictions to make her consent to anything even to his marriage and he based that hope upon numerous examples of secret liaisons which he had known to continue despite the laws of society by virtue of the prudence and skill with which the parties had succeeded in avoiding the judgment of public opinion 
"'Besides,' he said to himself, "'that woman will have made an irrevocable, boundless sacrifice for me. "'She will have travelled the world over for me, "'and left behind all her means of existence, "'all possibility of pardon. "'Society is stern and unforgiving "'only to paltry, commonplace faults. "'Uncommon audacity takes it by surprise. "'Notorious misfortune disarms it. "'It will pity, perhaps admire this woman, who will have done for me what no other woman would have dared to try. It will blame her, but it will not laugh at her, and I shall not be blamed for taking her in and protecting her after such a signal proof of her love. Perhaps, on the contrary, my courage will be extolled. At all events I shall have defenders, and my reputation will undergo a glorious and indecisive trial." society likes to be defied sometimes it does not accord its admiration to those who crawl along the beaten paths in these days public opinion must be driven with a whip under the influence of these thoughts he wrote to madame delmar his letter was what it was sure to be from the pen of so adroit and experienced a man it breathed love grief and above all truth alas what a slender reed the truth is, to bend thus with every breath. However, Raymond was wise enough not to express the object of his letter in so many words. He pretended to look upon Indiana's return as a joy of which he had no hope, but he had but little to say of her duty. He repeated his mother's last words. He described with much warmth the state of despair to which his loss had reduced him the ennui of solitude, and the danger of his position politically. He drew a dismal and terrifying picture of the revolution that was rising above the horizon. And while feigning to rejoice that he was to meet its coming alone, he gave Indiana to understand that the moment had come for her to manifest that enthusiastic loyalty, that perilous devotion of which she had boasted so confidently. He cursed his destiny, and said that virtue had cost him very dear, that his yoke was very heavy, that he had held happiness in his hand, and had had the strength of will to doom himself to eternal solitude. Do not tell me again that you once loved me, he added. I am so weak and discouraged that I curse my courage and hate my duties. Tell me that you are happy, that you have forgotten me, so that i may have strength not to come and tear you away from the bonds that keep you from me in a word he said that he was unhappy that was the equivalent to telling indiana that he expected her End of chapter twenty five